thank you for joining us for another episode of God, Law, and Liberty with David Fowler, president of the Family Action Council of Tennessee. Every week, we are putting culture, politics, and law on a collision course with the truth of God's Word. And now, here's David. Welcome to this week's episode of God, Law, and Liberty, and I'm delighted to have you join me today as we continue the series on the law and the Constitution. And today, I want to begin for us to look at the Constitution and getting a right understanding of the Constitution. Last week, I had mentioned that there was a law that preceded the Constitution, namely what we would call the common law, and prior to that, the natural law informed by revelation to help us understand what our reason might tell us that the common law was. Uh, We described the common law and that we operate according to the common law even today in any number of ways, including Every private contract we enter into is a contract made at, quote, common law. We discussed the fact that also at common law, we had come to the conclusion and deduced from the reality of the created order that man, having been made in the image of God, had three fundamental common law rights called personal security, which we defined at common law as the right to one's life, one's limbs, one's body, one's health, and one's reputation. What it means to be me, what it means to be you in all of its constituent parts. Liberty, the ability to move around, of locomotion, of not being restrained in my ability to go from one place to another, and of private property. Those were the three fundamental rights, and at common law they said that the diminution or the disparagement of any one of those three rights was essentially the road to tyranny because there was no other way of exercising control over another person's will than to threaten their their personal security, one aspect of their personal security, particularly their life, or their property, or their ability to move around. And so we said that the Constitution was grounded on the, the belief that those rights existed And so the Constitution, among the many things that it did, was intended to protect those fundamental rights. I said, among the many things it did. Uh, Obviously, it was trying to figure out how do we regulate commerce between the states so that every state can impose some different law and we, we can't have any interstate commerce. How do, we, how do we have currency that's acceptable in every state? How do we have post offices and, and, and mail? And so they, they dealt with any number of things, and of course the defense of ourselves against foreign powers. But, but from the perspective of rights, essentially the Constitution was based on the assumption that we already had rights, and there was nothing being done by the Constitution that would deny or disparage those rights, particularly the three fundamental rights. And so I concluded last week's episode by saying I wanted to get into the Ninth Amendment because in many ways it it reflects the whole of the Constitution. I would submit that to understand the Ninth Amendment in conjunction with the Tenth Amendment that we'll also talk about, you have a good understanding of the whole of the Constitution and its nature. 
The Ninth Amendment, interestingly, is little known by most lawyers and judges, and of course the public as well. One major Christian legal outfit uh, said that it asked around among some of its attorneys what the Ninth Amendment was, and they said, I, I don't know, I've never, I, I don't remember, because it's not talked about. In fact, I went through my constitutional law book, the, the one book I kept from law school years ago, it has a 1,700 pages in it. We read most of them, and uh, when I looked through the index of cases and citations, uh, the Ninth Amendment was mentioned on one page out of over 1,700 and was actually buried in a quote from a dissenting opinion, not even a majority opinion. So essentially, everybody is ignorant of the Ninth Amendment. And if you've followed the Family Action Council for any time, you know that I talk quite a bit about the Ninth Amendment. And here's why, and here's why it's so important. You don't have to be a lawyer to really understand the Ninth Amendment. You, you just really have to be able to read and pause long enough to think about what its one sentence says. It says, the enumeration of certain rights in the Constitution shall not be construed to deny or disparage others, referring to rights, other rights, retained by the people. Now, if you appreciate why the Bill of Rights was there, the concern among the Anti-Federalist Party was that we would wind up with a huge national government. We would go from a weak national government under the Articles of Confederation, where states could basically do whatever they wanted and sort of veto the national government's interest, to something that would be too national, and the states would lose their sovereignty. We would lose any sense of unity that allowed for diversity, and everything would become under the auspices of the federal government, and that legislators and or courts would interpret the powers of Congress too broadly, and the next thing you know, everything would be subsumed under the powers of Congress. And to some extent, that has certainly happened, as we'll talk about in future episodes. But it was in light of that that the Bill of Rights was adopted by the Congress by resolution and referred to the state for their adoption or ratification. What most people don't realize about the Bill of Rights is that it was actually preceded by a preamble the only addition to the Constitution by amendment that was preceded by a preamble explaining the purpose of the proposals for amendment that were sent to the state. And that preamble is part of what was negotiated and adopted and frames the understanding of the Bill of Rights, and it's very important. But you rarely, if ever, actually see it printed along with the Bill of Rights. Now, here's what the preamble says. The conventions of a number of states having at the time of their adopting the Constitution expressed a desire in order to prevent misconstruction or abuse of its powers. Now that's very important. We're wanting to make sure that what we've said in there about, for instance, the Interstate Commerce Clause is not misconstrued and, and, and the powers of Congress abused by throwing everything under interstate commerce. And by and large, that's often happened. It says, so because they were concerned of that misconstruction and the abuse of powers, they wanted, quote, further declaratory and restrictive clauses to be added. So in other words, the very purpose of 
what we call the Bill of Rights, the 10 amendments that were adopted, was to make clear the restricted, limited powers of the federal government to prevent them from being misconstrued too broadly or abused in a misconstruction of its powers. Now, with that being said, you then have to look at the Ninth Amendment and say, well, wait a minute, what is it saying here? The first thing it says is the enumeration of certain rights. And we need to just stop there and think about the word enumerate. Within the meaning of the word enumerate is the idea that there is something already existing that can be enumerated. You don't enumerate what doesn't already exist. You can't enumerate it because you don't know what it is. So the very word enumeration is predicated on the idea that there is something, some right, that pre-exists the Constitution. And all we're doing is enumerating the thing that already exists. In other words, the Constitution, by the Ninth Amendment, is saying it is not granting us any rights. It's merely enumerating rights. Now, I would say to all of you that are out there, with the attack on constitutional rights, particularly from the conservative perspective, we need to change the dialogue. And every time we talk about wanting to protect, assert, uh, preserve our constitutional rights, I believe that is understood by and large by the public is that we have rights in the Constitution, that our rights are found in the Constitution, that perhaps they're actually granted by the Constitution, when in actuality, the founders would have said, no, these are rights that are enumerated in the Constitution. I mean, that's what the Ninth Amendment is saying, isn't it? The enumeration of rights. These things, the First Amendment, the Second Amendment, the Third Amendment, the Fourth, Sixth, Seventh, Eighth, all those are an enumeration of rights that we know we already have. So if we start saying, well, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in protecting our enumerated rights, you're going to have a lot of people say, what do you mean your enumerated rights? And that's great because, you see, that then opens the door for a conversation about the fact that our rights do not come from the government. The Constitution wasn't granting us rights. And that leads to the second part of what the Ninth Amendment said. If you'll recall, it says the enumeration of certain rights in the Constitution shall not be construed to deny or disparage others. In fact, the second half of the Ninth Amendment is declaring what is essentially declared by the word enumeration, that our rights are not found in the Constitution and we have more rights than are being enumerated. So if you can picture this bowl, if you would, into which are thrown all of our rights, all the common law rights, and, and of course the three fundamental ones would be to personal security, to property and to liberty. And there were others, but, but let's just take that bowl. And we'd say, now, what we're going to do is enumerate some. They're so fundamentally important, we want to make sure that in the decades and centuries to come, you don't forget what they are. We're not granting them. We're reminding you of them by enumerating them. So, you can't establish a religious establishment. You can't inhibit the free exercise of religion. You can't inhibit the freedom of speech. You can't take away our right to keep and bear arms. And you just go on down through those other eight amendments. They are saying, in essence, that those are none of the federal government's businesses. Now, 
by virtue of the Tenth Amendment, therefore, it is saying that those things covered by Amendments 1 through 8, as well as the other rights that we've retained, are to be protected by the Tenth Amendment by action of the people or the states respectively. So all of those issues dealing with the first eight amendments were specifically said to be left with the states. Now the 14th Amendment came along and altered that to some degree. So I'm talking now about the Bill of Rights as they were first adopted and we'll get to later the relationship between the 9th and the 14th Amendment. But we have to understand the basic structure. So in other words, the 10th Amendment is saying Apart from the powers expressly delegated to the federal government, keeping in mind these first eight we've enumerated here are not intended to be among them or construed to be part of them, we're, we're keeping those. And the people in the states can deal with them. Now that's great. What you see this is doing is the Ninth Amendment effectively without saying it in so many words, recognizes the rule of law. That there is a law that precedes the Constitution that we've worked out over the centuries, and we are hereby incorporating that into our Constitution by saying we are taking some of those and enumerating them and incorporating them that way, and others we are retaining for ourselves. Now here's what's so important that I want to really, in a sense, close today's broadcast with and pick up again with next week. But read through the first eight amendments. Read through the Civil War amendments, amendments 13, 14, and 15, abolishing slavery, uh, the 14th Amendment and its due process equal protection requirement, and the 15th Amendment dealing with voting. And see if anywhere you see in the Bill of Rights a statement that says that the people shall have the right to personal security, the people shall have a right to property, the people shall have a right to liberty. The enumeration of the three fundamental rights at common law is not to be found in the Bill of Rights, or the 13th, 14th, or 15th Amendment. Isn't that interesting? So, if you read the Ninth Amendment for what it says, any right that's not enumerated, did it get abolished? Did it go away? Did it vanish? No. It's retained by the people. Now, why did they not enumerate, then, perhaps, the three fundamental rights at common law, the absolute rights, the ones given to us by God of personal security, life, and liberty, property. Well, I, I don't know, but I suspect it is this, that government's ability to misconstrue those, to take those out of the hands of people and imply that somehow they are now governed and controlled strictly by the government as against the people, would be to invite tyranny. So here's my point. You cannot take an amendment to the United States Constitution that enumerates a certain right and construe it in such a way as would deny or disparage the right of the people to personal security, liberty, or property. The people retained those rights 
And under the Tenth Amendment, the people and the states retained the power to specify those rights and to protect them. It wasn't given to the federal government or any branch of the federal government. So you see what's happened here is that the Supreme Court has construed enumerated rights like the 14th Amendment's enumerated right to due process of law to eliminate the right to life of persons and the state's ability to protect it. That kind of construction of an enumerated right denies or disparages the fundamental right to life that was retained by the people. It is an unconstitutional interpretation of an enumerated right. So I hope you found this brief explanation of the Ninth Amendment helpful. And next week, we're going to look at what the Supreme Court has done to essentially thwart the Ninth Amendment, or perhaps I should better say, what it has done because it has ignored the Ninth Amendment and how it is the key to getting our government back under control. And I hope that you'll join me next week as we continue our discussion on law and the Constitution here at God, Law, and Liberty. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. God, Law, and Liberty is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, please visit us at www.facttennessee.org. That's F-A-C-Tennessee.org. And please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Fact Tennessee.